How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 58 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and today I'm talking with Javier Reyes about Moneyball. Javier Reyes is the host of Locked On Padres, and for a couple of weeks we were like, hey, we should really talk about Moneyball. He, uh, he wants to analyze it from a film perspective and some of the acting and stuff like that. I go with more of the, uh, you know, also, I like the movie, so the film, but uh, also some of the inaccuracies between, you know, the movie and the book and the movie, the book and real life um, and, you know, enlighten him on that. So that's fun. Um, Yeah. So we talk a little bit about that and uh, this is part one. He's going to send me part two at some point and then I can post that one as well. So uh, today is just talking about Moneyball. Uh, In the coming days, I have uh, two more podcasts coming for you guys uh, about trade retrospectives The first one is going to be on the Mark Mulder trade from 2004, and then uh, the second one will be about Tim Hudson and that trade. One of those went really well, the other one, not so much. Uh, And then I'll explain a little bit as to why there was such a discrepancy in the returns for both players and stuff like that, and uh, where the A's were coming from when they decided to actually trade two of their big three uh, starting pitchers. So, uh, yeah, that's what we got on the docket for this week. Please follow us on social media at Locked On Athletics on both Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us pertaining to literally anything, baseball or otherwise, uh, you can email us at LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Um, as one of the intros for uh, one of those two trade pieces, I will talk a little bit about uh, baseball potentially coming back in the next... Uh, Okay, so here's what happened. Jeff Passan wrote an article, and they're saying that baseball is going to send over a proposal for when to start the baseball season in the next, like, week or so. So no real details have come out. They haven't really addressed anything publicly uh, in regards to the players' concerns and, like, what happens if somebody gets COVID-19. So uh, there's not really much to report about. It's just more talking. So uh, I will discuss the details of that, but that's the gist of it. Nothing much is new. We'll know more in a week, probably. So, yeah, that's it. All right, here's the talk about Moneyball. All right, everybody, I am here now. We've been emailing, or I should say Twitter DMing, to be more specific, back and forth for way longer than I actually realized I was going through that today. And we were talking about doing something, something very special, something a little bit different during these tough times. I am being joined by Mr. Jason Burke, the host of Locked on A's, Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, of course. Jason, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing very well. And thank you for letting me slide into your DMs and uh, talk about <laughs> setting up a Moneyball podcast for weeks on end. Yeah, it's one of the, see, here's the thing. I love Moneyball. And for me, it's my favorite sports movie, probably. There are a couple others that I might put in there like Creed and I really like warrior. There's, there's a ton. I actually, and if everybody who's listening to this, whenever I end up putting this up, uh, please check out the, the sports movie bracket that I've been doing. Uh, we'll be releasing a bunch of parts of that. That was a lot of fun, but I think that Moneyball has something really special about it. And obviously I invited you on because it is about the Oakland A's. Okay. I don't, I, th- I think everybody is familiar with that, but if you didn't, yeah, it's uh it's based on the A's a team that, or- you wouldn't uh, – if, if you talk to somebody who doesn't know a lot about baseball history and someone told you, oh, hey, one of the b- better sports movies, one of the better baseball movies is based on the Oakland Athletics, that might surprise people, I think. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, 
hearing you say that it's one of your favorite sports movies makes me happy because <laughs> it is probably one of my, you know, it's, it's up there for sure. But I'm like, am I biased? I don't know. Um, but I mean, watching it, I'm like, Brad Pitt delivered a great performance. He was legitimately yeah. nominated for best actor. He lost because the artist came out that year and uh, swept everything. But yeah. uh, same thing with best picture. But Brad Pitt was legitimately acting his ass off in that movie. Yeah. And OK, so really quickly, though, you brought up the Oscars. This the Lockdown Padres podcast is a registered anti Oscars podcast. I hate the Oscars in a lot of ways. Uh, I do watch them every single year. <laughs> I'm just watching a bad dream I never wake up from, I guess. And you mentioned how the artist came out that year. And just a really quick side kind of movie tangent. I am so the artist is to me one of the great examples of why I can't stand the Oscars. How many conversations, Jason, do you think you've had about the artists that do not include? that it won a bunch of Oscars. I think I've had a bunch being like, Hey, I watched this movie, the artist and people are like, what's that? Um, <laughs> uh, so that that's been the extent of most of my conversations. I, I watched it and I was like, Oh, that was kind of cool. I, I get why, you know, people liked it uh, and whatnot. And I know that Moneyball is not like an Oscar, you know, a usual Oscar winner, but mm -hmm. it was a really good movie. Like just yeah. movie wise, great movie. Also, great sports movie. So, yeah, it's um for for me, I just feel like, and I I love Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's my favorite actor probably ever. Uh, when this was coming out, I didn't really realize how good it was going to be. And I remember the trailer actually. Maybe I was just a, a dumb schmuck or whatever when I was a lot younger when this came out. But so that's nine years ago. Wow, Jesus. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's a nine year old movie actually, and. What's funny is when it came out, I remember the trailer coming out and I felt like it was, it felt to me like this was going to be more of a comedy. I mean, the way they called it Moneyball, I guess I misread it and I didn't know it was based on a true story. I was like, is this going to be a little bit more comedic? Is this going to be something that's satirical, kind of making fun of the system of baseball? And I ended up seeing it and I feel like, and I rewatched it uh, the other day again, because we've, we've been uh, messaging for so long, I had to make sure everything's <laughs> stuck in my head. Um it's one of those movies that's deeply analytical for sure, but it has a surprising amount of like genuine drama to it. It feels like you care. And I think that it's funny because the movie itself feels like it emphasizes how much the sport of baseball and sports in general can sometimes not care about the people behind it. Yet it feels like that it, it impacts in a certain way. I mean, not not to be uh, that guy, but I definitely got emotional watching this movie because I remember, you know, watching these games live, especially towards like the climax of the movie with uh, the wind streak and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was camping and we listened to games 18 and 19 on the radio. Wow. And then uh, game 20, I was watching at home with my dad and it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, it it brings back some really good times of, you know, A's fandom. I know that the A's haven't won a World Series, but we've had some really fun moments and, mm -hmm. you know, not winning as well. So uh, that lasts for, you know, a summer. Like there's, you know, the 20-game win streak. 2012 was just a fun season, especially that second half. So sure, you, you can dump on the A's for not winning, but they, they provide the fans with a lot to watch at least, uh, even when mm -hmm. they're not winning. And it's interesting because I've talked a lot on this podcast how I grew up a Yankees fan, still am to a degree, but past few years I started looking. I was like, oh, I kind of want to have a new team because honestly, 
a little boring being a Yankees fan sometimes. But it's like the dirty <laughs> secret. I don't think a lot of like old time people who have followed the team for a while. I think it's kind of a dirty secret of the team. It, that goes for a lot of teams with way too much money in baseball. And the San Francisco Giants are one that I was thinking of. That I was thinking of. The Dodgers I was thinking of because the Dodgers had Jackie Robinson, and I was just a fan of that. And also the show Duck Dodgers when I was a young lad. Don't know why. I just like the team named Dodgers. And of course, the Oakland Athletics because of this movie. This movie was one of those reasons where I was like, oh, wow, I want to I might want to be an A's fan now. Like it, it, it's it does such a good job at like it's a different kind of underdog story where it's a team for sure. But it's more of a an entire philosophy of underdogs. You know what I mean? It's a it's people behind the game. It's it's everything about the team itself instead of just one person or like a ragtag group of people a la Hoosiers or or Bad News Bears or what have you, right? And I, I just, every time I watch the movie, it's, yeah, it's surprisingly emotional. I don't know about you, but to me, just talking about some specifics now, um, I mean, Aaron Sorkin is brilliant. He wrote this, he co-wrote this, uh, the screenplay along with Steven Zalian. And I think he has this way of being really uh, kind of slick with his writing, but also kind of being, having a lot of heart too. You know, he doesn't just do, a bunch of word jargon. It usually leads to something. It usually is interesting in some way. How do you feel about kind of the the emotional depth of this movie? I, I feel like it hits on a bunch of different cylinders. Um, I don't know how factual some of the stuff was with like his daughter and, you know, does she play guitar? I don't know, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some of like that stuff could have been, you know, toyed with for, you know, Hollywood effect. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, rooting for the team and, you know, group of underdog story, you know, that's most of the other sports movies that are in conversation with, you know, the best of all time are underdog stories. And the A's have that in this movie in real life. Um, the acting is fantastic. There's, you know, a little bit of humor, a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and you end up just pulling for the guys, you know, whether it's, you know, in real life or, you know, on, on the screen. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's again, it's like a specific scene um, when they show Billy Bean struggles, not the actual like footage of his playing, but played by the actor, of course, as like a player, I'd argue this is like, I guess my hot take of the podcast. I'd argue seeing him fail at the major league like level and each in the in the different uniforms when it shows starting from the Mets to the the twins and then to the A's, of course, finally, I think it is the greatest tragedy for me that I've seen in a sports movie or at least up there with the all-timers, you know, like Apollo Creed's Death in Rocky IV or Booby Miles' Friday Night Lights. I don't know, all of Hardball, stuff like that. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, it definitely added some depth to the film, um, I would say. And I had something that that I was going with there, and then I forgot what it was. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that depth was a lot of – it added a lot to the film, uh, in my opinion. And I'll see if I can reclaim what I was going to say here in a second. <laughs> it's fine it's fine i think that yeah there's just something about it and it's funny because uh my mom loves this movie too and we've seen it a bunch of times actually uh when it's on tv or we just have the dvd and we watch it a bunch of times and she like really it's funny because that's not the type of thing that i feel like usually gets my mom I mean, my mom just in general really likes happy ish stories that at least at the minimum end in a bittersweet way she cannot handle uh like bad type of endings or what what have you but there's something about the way it's just, and I hate using this word to describe movies in general, because I think it's a little pretentious, but 
since I can't think of anything right now, I'm going to say it. There's something very human and, and vulnerable about the whole, yeah, this is, people don't realize like sports are not just us geeking out at the bars and whatnot. This isn't just us like saying, oh, LeBron's the best player ever. No, it's Jordan or whatever. Like there's so much about sports that explain um, culture and the world in general. And I think this movie taps into that to a degree. I think it reminds you that these are still, these are people. And what's funny is in baseball of all sports, because baseball is the, the, the one that feels almost bureaucratic and just paints everybody's just numbers a lot of times. And the movie touches on that with players getting traded, players not performing well. I mean, the, the part when I forgot what his name is, he gets sent down after they make a trade deadline, um, trade for a different, for a relief pitcher is just really it guts you and it's like yeah you forget sometimes that these are like real human beings i think that was mike mcnanty uh in the film right mm-hmm. and he'd been struggling all season in, in the movie and uh so they were like yeah we gotta we gotta take him down for a sec just the way that uh billy bean trains jonah hill uh you know how to fire people and that scene with mcnanty when he sends him down and it's just like no, they know that it's part of the business and they're like, okay, that's fine. And uh, I don't know if it's always like that, but, you know, that kind of speaks to what you were just saying there with, you know, people just being pieces that you move around and stuff like that and the movie touching on that. Also, I remember the other thing that I was going to say, and that was uh, <laughs> with the Billy Bean, you know, montage and all that stuff um, going off of what you said there. Um, when he asked Jonah Hill's character, when would you have drafted me? And it was mm-hmm. not in the first round at all. And mm-hmm. uh, that was a little bit gut-wrenching as well when you're like, ah, he could have like had a completely different life. And I mean, he's doing fine, obviously. But this is 2002, so he'd been GM for like three years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so he could have, you know, had other options available to him if he had gone to Stanford, like he had the option to, or because uh, he probably wouldn't have gone if he was not told that he has a first round talent and got that money. And if he was, you know, a 10th round talent or whatever, uh, Jonah Hill told him, then probably wouldn't have ended up uh, going to the majors at that point. Maybe he mm-hmm. would have been a bit better major league player. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who kn- That's the whole thing is I think this movie likes to also bring up while it is talking about numbers, which is what I find so interesting about it. It's a movie that's about how they're using numbers and advanced analytics to determine things. Yet it also is talking about the impact this has on people and how, you know, it, who knows if Billy Bean things go right. They mentioned the, the Oscar, uh, not the Oscar, the uh, the scholarship that he has. Right. And they talk about, look, you have to actually talk to the players. There's this. I, I think the movie is is definitely pro analytics if I had to take a stance there. But I think it is also it doesn't just dismiss the fact that these are human beings, you know, when they start actually talking to them and stuff like that. They they use analytics as part of their coaching strategy, I think, is what's so interesting when Bean starts talking more with the players and there's clearly starting to to buy into it. There's something about it that just works. And I think that what's funny is I love the the analytical way they just talk in this movie. I, I love the way lines are delivered, how, like I said, how much of a merit, um, a bureaucratic type of thing it is. And it makes you, when you watch this movie, I don't know about you, but it makes you want to talk numbers with people. It makes you want to talk strategy. It makes you want to almost pretend like you're a GM. You know, it makes you want to get, I immediately after watching this, I'm like, guys, uh, what are we starting our fantasy baseball league? Like you want to almost pretend that you're, that person behind the scenes and it makes being a GM sound really cool. Even if it is a lot of stress and there's uh, a lot of really 
outside forces and inside forces that kind of are trying to prevent you from doing well at that. And I think this movie is just about so many different things other than just, hey, uh, a team got better when they weren't supposed to. I think that that's really kind of shortchanging it. Just a second, everybody, before we get into the rest of my conversation with Jason Burke, I'm here to talk to you about Built Bar. A very tasty, tasty old snack. It's a protein bar that basically tastes like a candy bar. And they've got 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, and 8 chocolate nut free flavors as well. And they're covered in 100% chocolate and soft and easy to chew. Now let me tell you, I am, I've, this, this is coming at a good time because I'm personally starting to work out a little bit more. But I also have a bit of a sweet tooth every now and then, every now and then. So this is really kind of the perfect thing. And the best part is that Built Bars are healthy. They're great for the health-conscious sort of guy, which is not typically what I'd say to describe myself, but I am now. And they can help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. And one of them that I tried out, I immediately reached for it, was the peanut butter brownie flavor. It's got 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. It's really delicious. I enjoyed it very much. And the best part is that it's pretty, pretty healthy. They've also got tons of other flavors like mint brownie and whatnot, and I'm still got a few left, and I kind of don't want to to spoil all of them because I want to keep I, I keep wanting to eat them, and I, I want to keep going more, so I'm saving them throughout like the days of the week, my little sample that I got. So shouts to Built Bar. Uh, go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get ten dollars off of your first order. Use promo code Locked On for ten dollars off at builtbar.com. Yeah, they, they show why they got better, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, like their different approach and, you know, them being, you know, there's 50 pounds of crap and then there's us. Uh, yeah. We're not supposed to win. There, there's, and then they're like, so we have to change. We have to adapt or die is another line from the movie. So they, they show why they got better as opposed to like, hey, we were inspired. It's like, no, we, we paid attention to some numbers that nobody else was. And uh, that's working for us. And then we pulled off a couple of savvy trades. Uh, I know that Ricardo Rencon was a big part of the movie in that, you know, fun draft, you know, uh, trade scene where he's mm-hmm. got phones and, hey, get this guy on the phone. Uh, yeah, yeah. But in my household, he was known as Ricardo Renblown because he was <laughs> terrible. So, um, yay, we got Ricardo Rencon, but oh my God, he did not last for long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, so so you bring up an interesting, I guess, to transition to that. How much of the movie do you feel like captures the actual A's season? And do you think that there are, I mean, I assume there are because it is a movie after all. How much do you think that they maybe exaggerate certain players that were hopeless or helpless? Do they, um, do they, are, are there players that aren't mentioned enough that really helped the team a lot? Was it really as bottom of the barrel as it seems? Like what what kind of was the feel for the Oakland A's around that time? Um, I haven't done a lot of deep diving into like the stats of, you know, those teams um, mm-hmm. yet, but um, I know that, you know, they had to focus on Scott Hatterberg because he mm-hmm. has the big climatic moment. So, you know, obviously, yes. And he was just, you know, a good part of the team and whatnot, but they basically leave out Miguel Tejada who won the MVP, Hudson, Mulder, <laughs> and Vito. And I'm like, they, they were the linchpin of this entire squad, you guys. Um, mm-hmm. And also Chavez, I think his name got dropped once, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, those were really who the team was built around. And so with them blossoming and, you know, Tejada becoming an MVP player, that's more so how they were able to compensate for, you know, Jason Giambi leaving and stuff. 
Um, and the A's at that point were, you know, sure they lost, uh, I think it was Isringhausen in that movie. Uh, they, yes. They, they cycled through closers all the time. They had Billy Taylor, Jason Isringhausen, Billy Koch, Keith Folk, like one a, one a year, it's not, it felt like. And uh, they were always in the playoffs. So relief pitchers didn't necessarily matter at that point. And then uh, they lost somebody else too. Oh, uh, Johnny Damon. And Johnny Damon was overrated. So, you know, as they say in the movie. <laughs> so, uh, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Damon is, it's, it's funny. Cause yeah, Johnny Damon really was. And, and Jason Giambi, these are, they're good players. Right. And I think the movie kind of, uh, it, it both wants you to say, Oh, look, they lost these three players, but also at the same time, they're trying to make a whole thing about how they're overrated. Right. So there's a little bit of, um, conflicting views that the movie's almost trying to send but it's true i mean the a's weren't as bankrupt it turns out as the in terms of uh talent as i think that the movie leads on the movie basically makes it sound like david justice was the only good player that they might have had on the team when like you said miguel tejada literally won the mvp that year and i think that and miguel tejada had a, had a great career in general which is the other funny part i think one thing I think we're willing to as sports fans is just people watch the movie. We kind of overlooked that though. Cause I think the bottom line of the movie is the money aspect of it, regardless of the kind of talent thing. One thing is that definitely is true about it is the A's do not have New York Yankees money. They don't have Baltimore Orioles money. They don't have that type of ability to be like, yes, you know why you're going to come, you're, you're going to come play for the Oakland athletics. They are. And that's still to this day. And it's honestly something that I really kind of lament when it comes to baseball. And it's something that I often criticize, even though it is a sport that I love so much and how, you know, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are free agents. Oakland A's are just straight up better than the Padres at that time. There's no chance that they can acquire Machado. You know what I mean? That's it's unlike other sports where in basketball, I mean, basketball's shifted to a, a direction seemingly where if you have a good team, you have a better chance at signing somebody, which is what's so interesting. What do you, do you ever get like kind of frustrated when you're looking at uh, teams spending just exorbitant amount of money on players and whatnot? And then you uh, compare it to the A's who just really don't have that. Yes. And no, uh, I feel like mm-hmm. there's definitely room in the owner's budget where you wanted to, I think they've been holding <laughs> out for the ballpark situation for so long. And now that, you know, we're all quarantined and they're not making any money at the, you know, ticket stands, who knows if we're going to get a ballpark now. They've been waiting on this environmental report and now I'm like, are, are they still going to do this? I, so that's a worry of mine because um, mm-hmm. it looked like we were making some headway finally. And uh, now who knows? But uh, <laughs> I mean, they could do it. But like uh, J.D. Martinez, when he was a free agent, I'm like, give him like three and 60 or something like, like, I don't, I forget what he signed for, but you know, there's like ways that they could do it where they're not, mm-hmm. you know, giving out these $400 million contracts, but they could give out like a sizable contract and still acquire talent, but they're not doing that either, which mm-hmm. is uh, odd to me. Um, mm-hmm. Quick question for you. So the movie, you know, has the climax with Hatterberg's home run and then it goes down. Right. Uh, oh, I forget the catcher's name. Uh, he was referenced as the Husky catcher in the book, which I did read in uh, junior mm. college. That was a lot of fun. I was reading it during class. That's how good the book was. Anyways, so he hits the home run, falls, rounding first base, and you know they go over like, oh, he didn't know that he had just you know hit right. a home run and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, so maybe instead of that, they could have, since the movie came out like a decade after the events of the film, um, what if they did like a 
Mark Mulder and Tim Hudson get traded because that happened like two years afterwards. And they're like, mm-hmm. and now they got to start rebuilding and looking for that new analytic approach or that new, you know, market inefficiency is the, the hot term. Uh, would that have still been a good ending, you think? Or would it have been too much of a downer and not more hopeful? Um, hmm. I just came up with that, so I haven't really played it through in my head yet. <laughs> That's actually a really good question. I think I think the ending video that they show works. First of all, I, I love that people bring it up all the time like that. It's just a very – it's super cheesy, the whole like he hit a home run and he didn't even know it. Yeah. I just think that you need that though. I think there was something about how – they needed to push the thing and be like, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes you're in a good spot and you just don't, you don't realize it. The whole lucky, uh, luckiest person in the world. You don't even know it. I I've, personally, I feel like that rings true with um, a lot of people in my life and myself included, where you just, you don't realize it sometimes. And I think that there's, and there's something comical about it too. And I think having Brad Pitt just have the line where he's like, Oh, they're laughing at him. Like, <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt is just so excellent in this movie. And, it makes sense for for Jonah Hill's character, who have who have who we haven't even talked about yet, actually. And I just think that it's it, it fits more. I think it fits more with the movie. Although I could see the Tim Hudson kind of idea actually play kind of well. It's a good idea. I'd, I'd be curious to see if there was like some uh, there could be like a director's cut, I guess, <laughs> and what that scene would kind of look like. They probably would have had to like mention him more in the film mm-hmm. before him, though, as opposed to showing him giving up all those runs against the Royals and you know win number twenty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, that actually make an impact, I guess. So uh, there goes that idea. Bamo, we are taking another little bit of a break, guys, because I want to talk to you about Postmates. Our old buddies at Postmates. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. I think these days I'm literally scheduling my days around food, and that's literally all I'm thinking about. It's the most exciting part of the day, aside from doing this podcast, of course. But I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they created non-contact deliveries. So now when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up, you guys need to be supporting your local neighborhood spots right now. I've been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Hey, Tim Hudson was another great player. Uh, finished in San Francisco. I remember he was just completely like kind of losing it towards the end of his career, which was kind of sad to see. But um, now I want to talk about, I guess, just quickly some other performances of the movie that we liked. As we said, Brad Pitt is tremendous. Uh, first of all, do you even know the name of the person he lost to for the Oscar, uh, Best Actor Oscar? The guy from The Artist? Do you know the, Do you know his name? Uh, I mean, I think if I hear it, I would know it. Uh, I feel like John Goodman was in the movie, but I know that it wasn't him. Um, mm. No. Ladies and gentlemen, my case on why the Oscars are bad, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like I'm a super populist sounding person. I just want the most popular to win. But I don't know. I just think hot take 
maybe the movies that win this stupid friggin' award every year, maybe people should at least talk to them more than one month, talk about them than more than one month. You know, okay, I, I just feel like, fair, I, I, I really feel like he was robbed. To be fair, I don't know a lot of, uh, you know, actors' names or anything that my wife okay. knows everybody's name. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I do more, know more of the people that win Oscars and stuff, and I don't know his name. So I'm like, yeah, ha- Javier Bardem. I know who that is. Mm-hmm. If I've seen them and I've liked them in a movie, then I'm like, oh, I tend to remember vaguely who they are or like the name will strike a chord. His, his doesn't. Yeah, Jane Duharden or Gene Duharden. Nope. I think that's how you say his name. That's his name. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I saw him in a movie after this. Maybe he's been in a lot of smaller things, but I have not seen him in kind of anything of note. I guess he was in, uh, apparently he was in The Wolf of Wall Street, but I don't even know which character he was. Just saying, just throwing it out there, ladies and gentlemen. I hate this <laughs> stupid award show. Um, but it did, it's still the nomination was big. And it's funny because uh, Brad Pitt ends up winning this year, uh, this past year for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a great, really great moment for myself as well. The movie still did get a lot of Oscar love. It was nominated for Best Picture. It won for Best Adapted Screenplay. Shocker that Aaron Sorkin's um, very good at writing, I guess. Or wait, was it that? Did they win for that? Hold on. Oh, no, he didn't win. It was The Descendants that won. I'm sorry. Uh, so I'm looking at the thing right now. It was nominated for a lot of Oscars, though, at the minimum. And I think it should have been because I think this movie ages well. And it's not really what you kind of expect when you think of sports movies. A lot of people think of the Hoosiers and the the underdog stories. And they don't expect something that's as analytical as this. Um, another thing I wanted to kind of mention is the cast in general is great. Right. You've got Brad Pitt giving a tour de force type of performance. But Jonah Hill, this was kind of the the beginning of the oh, wow, Jonah Hill can do different things moment. I think we've all realized that now he's making movies now, like he's done a lot more different things. But this is kind of around the super bad era for Jonah Hill, like around that time and knocked up. And he wasn't playing as many different roles. And he ends up I think he was tremendous of the aforementioned Wolf of Wall Street. But he's really great in this. And he plays a. Uh, just this kind of i don't even know how, he plays a nerd almost but not a nerd that's like the caricature of a nerd you know what i mean that's something that you see in in the movies where they make them all like weird you know and he's just this smart guy that's not the usual jonah hill we're used to and i think that people that may not realize that when this first came out that was kind of impressive to see um just to see this comedic actor deliver kind of a serious performance um and then there's people of obviously the late uh Philip Seymour Hoffman and Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, which is, <laughs> I mean, if this movie happens today, there's no way he plays the role of Hatterberg. He's too, I mean, he's an A-lister now, but back when this is coming out, I don't even know what season of Parks and Rec they're on. I mean, the, the Chris Pratt kind of explosion happens when the Lego movie and Guardians of the Galaxy started coming out. And back then though, it's, it's kind of funny to look back and be like, oh, wow. He played, yeah, he was, he was just Scott Hatterberg. Like, what do you feel about the performances from the rest of the cast in the movie? Uh, I thought Jonah Hill was decent, personally. Um, okay. I thought like we would just kind of like tone down Jonah Hill's to a degree, mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. mopey. But uh, maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, I think I just wanted to see more Brad Pitt was part of the problem. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman did a good job in the role that he was given, but that is not how Art Howe was, and Art Howe was very mm-hmm. mad with his picture. And uh, there was a reunion, I think it was in 2012, so 10 year, like the 10-year reunion of the 21 season, and mm-hmm. Art Howe was wor- 
like, should I come? I don't know. This movie just came out and uh, everybody. And so he ended up coming and he got a standing ovation because, you know, A's fans wanted to let him know that he was still loved and whatnot. And, you know, that yeah, that, he, he was yeah. one kind of dirty. Yeah, he. that's what's so interesting about the movie is, and I guess this sometimes happens in Sorkin movies and whatnot and social network. I mean, we could go on for days about some of the inaccuracies in that movie. But yeah, I was wondering about that because they make him, they don't make him like an evil guy. They just make him like a very old man guy. They make him go like, guys, I want my contract. Come yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah. like... Uh- I assume not how he actually was. <laughs> He's like under the cloud of a one-year contract. Yeah. How'd you like that impression? <laughs> <laughs> there, but he's really great in it. And I, I think there's there's a warmness to it. So when I first watched it, I was even I was kind of curious. I was like, huh, I wonder what this guy was like. Because they're not saying he was mean. He was just doing his own thing. And I wonder like how A's fans must have felt about that. And then, of course, the report came out that R. Howell was you know understandably very furious at the depiction of him in the movie all right everybody that's the end of the first part of our conversation about moneyball the second part of the conversation is uh more about his pitch for a padres type moneyball movie and who would play who and what the story would be he does mention that the padres would win like two or three world series and i mean we'll see um so we'll be getting that one up to you too i still got the mark Mulder and tim hudson ones coming for you guys um also, Audacity is saying that this file size is too big, so you're not going to get outdoor music, but I will hum a little ditty right here for you guys. Uh, in the meantime, while you guys are waiting for the other podcast to drop, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, uh, follow us on social media at LockedOnAs on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB. You can email us at LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, go out there. or No, no. We're, we're still doing quarantining, guys. I know that everything's about to open up, but uh, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. I will talk to you guys soon.